Allegorical Life. This is the podcast where we discuss the metaphors of life, leadership and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of The Allegorical Life. My name's Jordan and as always I'm here with Mark Crosweller. By way of introduction for those of you who don't know Mark, he's worked in crisis, security and emergency management for over 30 years. His experiences, both personal and professional, have taken him into the world of philosophy, often intersecting with the worlds of theology and mythology. Mark often talks both nationally and internationally about these intersections and how they shape the way we think, speak and act. He talks about the ways that they can influence both the quality of our leadership and, more importantly, the quality of our lives. Mark, it's lovely to be back here having another chat with you for the Allegorical Life podcast. Uh, Today we're talking about your latest blog post, which is called Growing Old is Privilege. In it, you say that despite all of our human progress, we still have no collective idea where we're heading. What's behind this, do you think? I think part of what's behind it is we see the world increasingly existentially, um, which means that there's no inherent meaning and purpose or universal meaning and purpose in the world. And we used to derive that culturally and socially from religion, for example, and the many faiths and spiritualities that have pervaded our the course of our cultures throughout the uh, you know our human expanse. Um, We've tended to move away from that to a to a world of illogic, irrational thought, reason, empiricism, evidence, science, uh, and they're all important. But they, they, and they do add to meaning and purpose, actually, ironically. But they don't replace meaning and purpose. And so I think um, it's fine to have an existentialist view of the world, but the existentialist view also says that it's up to us to bring that meaning and purpose. And like all philosophies, they take us to the very end of a road and roads that we otherwise couldn't walk ourselves. So the thinkers are fantastic. They they go and look at things that and think about things that we can't do on our own. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're right in an absolute sense. So existentialism is important because we get a chance to bring meaning and purpose to what happens in our lives. And, and there's a lot of power in doing that. So if adversity turns up in our lives, we can draw meaning and purpose from that adversity which is useful or helpful uh, in terms of growth, uh, uh, wisdom, uh, you know, moving towards love, all those sort of things. So so it's important to have an existentialist view of no inherent or fixed meaning and purpose in the world. But, but we also have to commit uh, to that pathway of bringing that meaning and purpose. And I think in, in the world at the moment, people try and do that and a lot of them are shouted down, of course, uh, particularly in social media and the more sort of uh, violent and aggressive voices from the far left and the far right that you know, we, we have now what's called a quiet population in the middle that doesn't say very much. Uh, and that's and again, that's only part of it, Jordan. It's not all of it, of course, but um, but I think the, the essence of it is that that it, the faiths, the religions, the spiritualities, the stories, the myths, um, the, you know, the, the, the folklore uh, helped us to understand and interpret the world. And we've lost some of that. Um, art, music, poetry, theatre, literature still does that, of course, and it's very important to us. And I think people do find immense meaning of purpose from those uh, from those lenses. Um, but they're not necessarily front and centre in the way we design societies or we think about the world uh, or, or we pursue what is effectively now a market society. So the marketplace drives everything. Um, and, and the predominant focus of that marketplace is economic prosperity, and everything really becomes secondary or tertiary. And 
we still need a good economy. I mean, we, we need things to be well, to live well and to, to sustain ourselves. So economic growth, you know, measured economic growth and sustainable economic growth and properly distributed economic growth are really important things. <clears throat> They're not the most important. And I think we've got to flip it a little bit and not get rid of the economic importance of the world, but kind of subordinate it and see it as a supporting mechanism to things which actually mean a lot more to us. Um, but it's hard to get that in the in the political discourse and and the media and the daily reporting and the news events and there's so much of it is filled up with uh, economic rationalism and econo- economic empiri- empiricism. Um, it, it, when we do a study, you know, we work out the economic impact of you know a pack of cornflakes or something, and, and it, everything has an economic value to it. Well, it just doesn't resonate with most people. You know, the fact whether something's going to cost the economy ten billion dollars or not. Most people, it just goes straight over their head because it, it actually doesn't mean anything in itself. It's kind of a useless insight, really. It might mean something to an economist, and, and good luck to them. But it doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything to most other people. So, so what I'm sort of advocating is that it, you know, the, the life is full of meaning and purpose. Really, if we understand the purpose of the context of our lives and why we are here. And, and faith, um, spirituality, uh, you know, some of the religions, most of the religions really, um, give us some insights about how to do that. And I remember um, Alain Dubaton, who's a, who's a philosopher and, and, and a, an atheist, what I call a sensible atheist, he's very open-minded and very rounded in his perspectives, makes the point that it was religions that gave us our morality and our ethics and, and our virtues and and no other entity, no other social entity or societal entity, not secularism uh, or any of the other isms or ideologies that we've created since our religions and our faiths have been able to generate a sense of purpose and meaning like our religions did. Um, uh, you, you know, I think I might have said before in my blogs, I'm, not, I'm no great fan of you know, rigid institutionalised dogmatic religions because I think they're 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 old school and they've you know they've, they've played their part in the course of human history, but they need to mod- to modernise and modify. But but if you, if you take the value of our spirituality in the course of our human history, there's a lot to be said for it and a lot to be drawn from it uh, to help guide us on what what is really meaningful and purposeful in life. Mark, do you think it's possible that we'll ever all get on the same page about where we're going and what we want? I think subconsciously we are. I think most people, uh, to take a Buddhist view, you know, but people uh, very um, unskillfully sometimes are trying to move either towards the good or towards happiness and away from their suffering. And some people do that in, in incredibly destructive ways. And so you know, it's highly um, uh, polluted or, or, or diluted uh, or infected by thoughts and words and actions which are incredibly unhelpful and you, you could argue are you know, dark and... and uh, and um, hurtful and harmful, uh, but they're still overall trying to move in a direction towards happiness. And I think really the art of being human is to refine uh, how to move in that direction more efficiently and more collectively and cohesively. So I think the wish or the intention, as clouded and as diluted as it is and as muddy and as messy as it is and as ambivalent as it can be, is still, in essence, to move in that direction. And if you look throughout the course of human history, you can see that we are, we are making progress, but you know, are we making progress to the extent of which we would like? I would, I'd strongly argue, no, we're not. Um, and we could make it quicker um, if, we, if we sort of got 
clear on what's really important to us. And you can have these conversations with individuals or small groups and it's, it becomes pretty obvious what's important to people and it's not the economy, money. But, but if you take the societal narratives and the political discourses of much of Western, uh, Western state na- nation states, um, then it is all about the economy. And, um, and so how do you in- engender a, a narrative at that, at that meta level that, that's acceptable to people without being cynical or, or politically advantageous? So, so I think we're getting there. I mean, there's, a, there's an argument that says that, uh, in fact, it's, it's in uh, some of the theological insights that, you know, heaven's already here. You know, the Buddhists will say nirvana is not a place, it's a state of mind. And there's, a, there's a, I'm not sure where it is, but some, somewhere in the New Testament of the Christian Bible, there's a saying that says, you know, heaven, heaven is before man, but he does not see it. Um, you, can, you can see this planet being a paradise, really, uh, if, we, if we knew how to change our minds and to live in a way in accordance with what it has to offer and what, and what it's asking us to do. Uh, it could be heavenly. It could be a paradise. You know, um, I mean, the question of eternity is a question of spirituality, of course. But, but um, you know, much of what we do is the pursuit of endless desire, and we do separate ourselves from nature, and we have a um, an anthropocentric view or a human exceptionalist view. In other words, we separate ourselves from nature and place ourselves above, and then seek to exploit nature for our purposes in order to pursue happiness or a sense of. Uh, flourishing or pleasure and the planet can provide that to a point but there's a sustainable tipping points or unsustainable tipping points where it can't do that and it goes to the start of my blog uh, Yuval Harari makes the point you know whilst ever we think we're gods and we're separate and we're going to live eternally or we wish to live eternally and how do we do that it, it, whilst um, committing you know destructive acts against nature and the planetary ecosystem, it is just not going to work. And nature will win. Nature always does. Um, anything we try and do to, to force nature in a certain direction, ultimately we lose. So we haven't quite worked that out, I don't think, but we need to. So I think we're on the right path. I think we're doing it destructively, slowly, um, ignorantly, arrogantly, uh, and that needs to change. And I, th- I think the planet's waiting for us to wake up uh, to what's possible as a human species because at the end of the day we are, we are the sole cause as a species for the possibility of universal compassion to every uh, uh, human and non-human being uh, within that planetary ecosystem and we are the same species that can destroy it and we're the only species that can do either uh, or both. So we really have to get a grip on that and, and work out you know what's, what's best for everybody in the long term. So... As always, Jordan, I remain hopeful, but um, if we don't sort of bring attention to the way we treat the planet and the way we think about it and the way we speak about it, then it's going to take us a lot longer to get there um, than, uh, than we otherwise possibly could if we're a little bit more mindful about you know, how we, what we thought, um, what, what, what we spoke and how we acted towards ourselves, others and you know, the environment for which we live. listening to the Allegorical Life podcast. Mark, in your blog post, you also talk about our fascination with youth and our disregard of old age. Is this connected to our inability to get our head around our own mortality, do you think? I think we fear fear death. And I think, uh, and death ought to be feared, I think, because it's what keeps us alive, of course. Um, So I'm not saying we ought not fear death. 
uh, I, I would probably qualify that actually, but um, but if we're losing our spirituality or our sense of faith, um, a, a sense of wonder and mystery and awe uh, about a life beyond which we can't explain and and don't necessarily understand, if we lose that, um, or if we lose faith in the next life, the possibility of another life in whatever form through through whether whatever religion one believes in or spirituality or even sense of being. Um, then of course we're going to fear death, and we're going to want to hang on to life as long as possible. But um, and that that drives trillions of dollars in the global economy for people trying to avoid the very thing that's inevitable. So, I mean, the greatest human suffering is the is the attachment to the desire for life and the fear of death, um, and those things pervade the thoughts of most human beings every day subconsciously. It's not like we think about death every day; quite the opposite. But the the subconscious mental process is, I will not die today. The reality is, or the, or the more realistic statement is, I could die today. And that I could die today needs to be a conscious thought, you know, perhaps every morning when we get out of bed, that today may not turn out quite the way we want, uh, and how am I going to make the best of it or make the most of it whilst I'm still here? Um, my career taught me that, Jordan. I, I saw so many people who got out of bed in the morning with a rightful expectation to come home and for whatever reason through a range of circumstances, did not do that and didn't make it to the end of the day. And it re- really taught me, you know, what, what death was trying to teach, I think, which was how, how valuable life really is. Um, in Buddhist thought, you know, the, the meaning and purpose of life is to be a compassionate person, is to understand profoundly what it means to be compassionate. Um, and part of that really is to know how to love and to be loved. And if anyone ever struggled with what was the meaning or purpose of their life, it's not a bad place to start about what does it mean to love and be loved. And and it takes on so many guises and takes us on so many journeys and needs enormous amounts of courage to be that way, of course, and to do that. But it also uh, brings us alive. And love asks a price. It asks an enormous price sometimes. Sometimes it asks for our life. Um, and um, I think I noted in the blog um, um, Sebastian uh, Junger's uh, quote from his book War. That, you know that, that soldiers came come to realise, or the the uh, sociologists within the military services came to realise that the greatest act of love was courage, or giving the life of oneself for another soldier, and 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 nothing else in life could really match that. And I can understand that. So many soldiers talk of this, of course, and. They come back into civil society and they just can't quite find that connection to the extent to which they found it on the battlefield. I, th- I think it's unfortunate it takes a battlefield to tease it out for them, but let's not be too harsh or judgmental because those things do occur for reasons which are beyond their control um, and which they do participate in on our behalf. So, But it, it, it's, a, it's a clear distinction or it takes us to the end of the spectrum and makes the really important point that when, you know, when it's literally a life and death decision that what sits in the middle of that life and death decision is love. Love is there waiting to be acknowledged or, or waiting to be experienced. So so love in all its guises is a great way of seeing meaning and purpose in life. And as I said for Buddhists, there's no greater meaning or purpose in life than to be compassionate. Um, for existentialists, it's more about saying um, we, we get an opportunity to bring that meaning and purpose to life, but it's essential that we do because it's part of being human. Um, and I would argue that without faith, hope, love, meaning and purpose, we're not human anyway because they're attributes of humanity which are, are not present in any other species to the extent of which we have it. Um, so if we lose our faith or hope or love or meaning or purpose, then really we're not living. We're just not living. So 
how to encourage people to re-engage with those things. Um, I think, you know, through friendly conversations and there's many great people in the world exemplifying what it means to love or be courageous or compassionate or do meaningful things in their life or have a sense of purpose, a sense of being. And we should encourage people to revisit that and, and ask themselves the question, you know, what, what did I come here to do? Um, they're great, what's called eschatological questions, questions of theology about, you know, where did I come from? What am I doing here and where am I going? What's my purpose? They're questions of eschatology. And, and everybody essentially in their life will ask that question in their mind at some point. Uh, now, some will ponder it for a long time and some it'll be a fleeting thought, but it turns up pretty much in everybody's thought process at some time in their life. And the questions to be contemplated that you can't necessarily answer them straight away, uh, but they're important questions nonetheless. So we all do come here for a purpose, and sometimes that's a highly overt purpose. So we see it in you know national leadership or international leadership or or what have you, or community leadership, and sometimes it's really quite covert. So the only person who sees it is is a child uh, or a or a pet or a parent or a partner or or whatever it's you know it can be or an animal for that matter i mean it can be really subtle but throughout the course of my life i i, I realized that sometimes you know the, the power of spirit if, if i can call it that operates in the most subtle of ways so when the world's noisy and loud and big and you know whatever that, that often that's not where spirit's operating it's operating very very subtly uh, in the quiet moments in the in the you know the touch of a hand and you know the the the, uh, the kind thought or the kind word or whatever it is is really where the greatest power is. So so sometimes we get distracted by the big the big bad ugly things as being powerful and we think that's you know that's either a purposeful or meaningful or spiritual thing and it may be I'm not saying it's not but but for many people that experience is not available to them. But what is available to just about everybody is the opposite end of the scale, which is the subtlety, the quietness, the the the, the uh, you know, those sort of very very intimate moments that most of the world never gets to see is where the the spiritual life does its best work and it's often where our meaning and purpose can be found. So, and Mark, in addition to having more conversations about love and courage uh, and what we've come here to do, do you think we need to get more comfortable thinking and talking about dying as well? I, I do. Um, I mean, there's debates in society about euthanasia, of course, and that's a, it's a hotly, highly contested debate, and it needs to be because you know death is a serious issue. We, we don't want to step out of this life uh, for you know lesser meaning or purpose or lesser reasons. I mean, it, 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 life is precious. It's really hard to get here. Uh, it really is. I, I think um, you know. I always say that the two greatest journeys people ever take in their life is coming here and leaving. Um, and we, we know how difficult it is to get here. We see it in, the, in our medical science and our personal experiences, the, the wonder of childbirth and also the fraught nature of that journey and the sadness that attaches when it doesn't quite work out. So birth is valuable, life is valuable, and, and death also is valuable, but in between life and death or birth and death, there's a great adventure to be had. And I think... Um, having been in the presence of death throughout the course of my career and, you know, professionally and, and also intimately in, within my family context, that um, I think for many people you could you could see that uh, the slate was clean so they had learnt the things they needed to learn. You know, I say, I say this often about my dear mother that she was, and it's representative of, I think, all of us, that she she was born with a childlike innocence Um 
but she died with a childlike wisdom. And what I mean by that is that she was incredibly wise when she died, but she was also childlike. She had an innocence about it that there was nothing left to reconcile with, nothing left to do, nothing left to apologise for or make amends. It had all been achieved. The lessons had been learnt, the wisdom had been acquired, and it was time to go. And, and off she went. And I've seen that in many, many people, and even in tragic death and tragic circumstance, I think you can still argue that the life that was lived up until that point was valuable, that there was learning, there was, there was wisdom, there was opportunity, there was experience, there was meaning, purpose, faith, hope and love, and it ended abruptly, but it was still full, the life was still full of those things. So I think um, uh, for, for anyone who says that they're spiritual or has a spiritual inclination or ponders mystery and wonder, you have to accept that there's something beyond this life. Um, and to the extent at which you accept that and what that looks like is can be a very personal thing, and I think it should be. I don't think anyone should tell anybody what that looks like. I think that's a matter for us to work out for ourselves and think about it, amuse, reflect upon it, meditate, and so on and so forth. But it's a really nice thing to ponder. Uh, you know, I say to people all the time, let a bit of mystery into your life. Okay, it's not going to, you know, I know it might sound a bit odd, but it's not going to kill you to let a bit of mystery into your life and just have a think about it, about how mystery is operating in your life and what's it, what's it doing. You know, how, how is it opening up, opening up doors or how does it speak to love or, or you know, how, what does it do in, in terms of speaking to irony and paradox? Because the world is full of irony and paradox and it's often where I, I find a lot of humour actually where we get very serious about things and then irony turns up and says, well, you know, you might want to lighten up a little. Uh, or we get very adamant about something, about our point of view, and then paradox turns up and says, well, let me give you the opposite because it's equally as true. So paradox and irony are really important things in the human mind, and they come from mystery. They, they help us to unfreeze our, our worldly view and a fixed point of view and, you know, those things we're adamant about, and they and they force us to question those things. And so they are mysterious in many, many respects, and, and they kind of open up the potential for spiritual thought. So... So it's uh, death's a, you know it's to be respected and regarded. It has its own time. It has its own power. It has its own agenda. It's not something we can avoid. Most of us won't know when we're going to die or how. Uh, we may get a sense of that as we get older, of course, and move towards it. But at the end of the day, we don't. We can't say now in the middle of our lives what that what that is going to look like unless we have a specific medical condition that gives us the insight. So. So it could be around the corner. We don't know. It doesn't matter. Live life to the full. Uh, you know, live, love, uh, be kind, be compassionate. Understand what your virtuous nature of your character is, and give it give it its full flourishing. You know, be as be as alive and as purposeful and as meaningful as you can possibly be. Um, and then it doesn't matter when death turns up because you want to live life to its fullest. Thanks for joining us today on The Allegorical Life. If you're enjoying our podcast, you might like to add a review on iTunes and that'll help other people find us as well. Thank you and we hope to have you with us again soon.